incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is crab. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Engage. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, you may know him from Cinema Shock. You probably know him from This Is Professional Wrestling. Now, you will know him as officially our most frequent guest at four appearances. (laughs) It's Mr. Gary Horn. Yay! Todd, Todd doesn't know other people. <laughs> We're pretty sure Todd doesn't have friends. <laughs> How you this doing, is man? different. This is I'm good, man. I, this is different though. I I had accidentally watched this one due to a misunderstanding. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I decided I needed to talk about this one. I needed to work <laughs> this out with someone. I twisted uh, your arm also seen, yeah, and yeah, forced so, you to watch the other ones. <laughs> right. You're so going to watch the other ones my, just so I could be come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just so I could get the moment to talk about this one. And I'll probably sound like an idiot while I'm doing it. But we had yeah. fun on the last one for yeah. sure. And, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can't wait for it. all of them. So. Well, I mean, as, uh, as we are recording this, that one has not yet been edited. That would be episode 10. That's our big double digits. Two handfuls episode. And yeah, people are going to like it because it got deep and it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. So I can't wait for everyone to hear that one. This one's got a lot of meat to it. Yeah. Well, we managed to pull a lot out of time travel, but this one definitely just like right from the get has a lot of moral quadries to be discussed. Yeah. Like it just It feels like the deepest episode Enterprise jumped into all oh, of a sudden. Sure. whether they meant to or not they they really hit on like they had to have meant to but yeah they hit on some interesting stuff here I think so I'd love to know where in the writing process this one was because you know those scripts get written early on and probably shuffled around because of some sort of uh formula that the studio has or something like that man this is such a good one before we dive into that you were watching a movie just now with Jen what uh what movie were you uh were you jumping into Oh, we were watching uh, Peeping Tom. Oh, okay. Way back in the day. I'm unfamiliar with that one. Well, I've honestly, it's from 1960. I haven't seen it before, so I was uh, wanting to get into it. But essentially, it appears that it is about a young man. He works in a British film studio, and he he's just really fond of camera work. But it turns mm. out his uh, obsession with it has gotten to the point of he likes spying on people for one. Where I'm at now, they're starting to be a little flashbacks to his tortured childhood. And mm. keep in mind, this is 1960, so this was pretty dark for the time, I think. But it seems mm-hmm. like uh, he likes seeing women in fear. And uh, so he loves uh, filming some ladies while he murders them. Oh, <laughs> well, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So fits right in with Star Trek. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Very smooth <laughs> transition. Yeah, yeah. you have to go back to the original <laughs> series. <laughs> would, uh, uh, that would episode this... with Kirk and uh, her uh, ready for my close up, I think it's the name of the episode. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> would, uh, would peeping Tom be something that we might cover on our other podcast, cinema shock with Mr. Justin Bishop. I could certainly see it being something we would end up getting to because it's on this list. Uh, I was telling you about my wife, had me a poster, like 100 horror movies. Nice. Know, to watch yeah, with the you... things you scratch off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Scratch it off. I've seen those on like it. Instagram and stuff. Uh, it's one that went back to like, I mean, I even remember seeing an interview with John Carpenter. He had done Halloween and like, this is one of the movies he references and really? that sort of thing. Cause it's definitely got a couple of things in it. You could tell this might be one of the first times they've appeared like the POV shots. Um, oh. Cause you're see you're watching it through his camera. 
um, some of it, wow. which also gives it that like found footage kind of feel too. So it's like yeah. kind of one of the early ones to hit on what would later become like whole genres built around those things. Yeah, you're a big found footage fan. Oh right? yeah, I love them. What's, Even uh, if they're bad. What's top of your list? It would be hard not to say like Blair Witch Project would have to be in there. Sure. Best found footage. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some right off the top of my Are head. Are you that... looking it up, Gary? <laughs> I was trying to remember the name of one of them. Uh, oh, okay. And it was the one that just came out during the pandemic. And I wanted to bring it up. It's called oh. Host. It's really, really fun. Oh, okay. um, it's like in a Zoom call. So like, Okay, I was like about to ask. I think I've yeah. heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of friends getting together for a Zoom call and they decide to do a seance and antics ensue. Oh, and wow. So, that sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah, those are fun. There's the one good one that's similar to that, like with the computer stuff. It's not a horror movie, but the one with John Cho. Uh, oh, okay. Harold from Harold and Kumar. Yeah. Um, He's in one called Searching, which is really great, where his daughter goes missing and he's trying to find her, but it's like literally all in the computer screen. I guess it's like technically found footage, but it's uh, it's sort of like that. Like it all takes place on the computer screen and you're yeah. just seeing what he's looking at, the emails he reads and then video chats and stuff with people. Wow. But there's, I don't know, there's some fun ones. There's one called Lake Mungo that's on Shutter right now. There's a lot of them. Lots of ghosty stuff is generally what people try to do with found footage. You know, it's it's funny to me. <laughs> you referenced uh, Harold and Kumar and not John Cho's other work, Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know why I didn't say, you know, Sulu. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So, so, yes, yes. Oh, and, and probably more uh, more relevant now. I don't know why I'm just thinking of these now. You, you've got you sparked the idea, but uh, Cloverfield would be a great one. I enjoyed that oh, one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, since uh, Cog versus Godzilla is huge with we're taping this. And, yeah, uh, that's true. That's kind of one of the I don't know. And it's you know, this goes into the discussion. If anybody out there really wants to hear me get skewered for my taste in films, <laughs> please head over to cinemashock.net. Cloverfield's one of the ones where I really dug the marketing. Wasn't that a bad robot production? Didn't it uh, was? Yeah, yeah I yeah. thought so. Man, all the posters and the trailers were so cool. When the end credits rolled, I walked away disappointed. Yeah, well, it's okay. I mean, you could be wrong about things. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I mean, was hoping you'd tell me why I was wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the thing is, is like a lot of these are subjective. I mean, some of these are cheesy, you know, like sure. some people hate the paranormal activity movies. Those are a big brand of found footage movies. You know, they've got like a whole series. There's like five of them. Oh, yeah. I love them. I, I have a great time with them, but some people hate them, you know, so it just depends. Did you see Chronicle? Because that's another one that just came to me. That's like right up. The kids get superpowers or something. Yeah, like that? it's like the yeah, kids yeah, yeah. get superpowers. Uh, I haven't seen that one, but it's on my list. It's really fun, but it's, you know, essentially like the kids get superpowers, but they're filming themselves, like learning to test it out. And, oh. and but as things go along, like their motivations might switch or something like that. And so like, there's like maybe the hint of one of them is slowly evolving into a super villain more than a superhero and nice. like it's uh it's a lot of fun that that one's good talking about superheroes and supervillains uh we saw that one um it's with the kid oh yeah elizabeth banks is in it as the mom yeah and uh god what, what's the, what's name, the of name of that uh i'm just gonna i'm gonna go i was like i'm just gonna google evil superman and i found it. it's brightburn brightburn yes yeah yeah uh, that's a yeah. fun one that yeah that's a lot of fun that was very uh reminiscent of supreme power came out from marvel back in the day i do remember that yeah it's something like that yeah uh, they just sort of cranked it to the next level uh in terms of uh horror but it was a lot of fun so found footage is one of those it's iffy it started out like really i mean there were movies there's movie um, like i said this peeping tom movie i mean in cannibal holocaust is one of the cult favorites that oh, yeah. is all the way back because it's all kind of found footage from these people who's documenting visiting an amazonian tribe i personally hate that movie but it's a classic that's a rough one to watch well we covered it on the old show okay um, i couldn't remember if you if you yeah yeah okay so you were there for that one yeah i mean that one's mean-spirited and i think that's yeah that's i think a that's, good way a, to that's it. a nice term to blanket some really horrific things that they committed to film so do you think a star trek story could be told in found footage 
That's and an if so, and if so how would you how would you do it? That's a good question, man. It's actually it's funny. You, as we were sitting there talking about it, I was like, man, Star Trek's never really done anything sound footage. But yeah, I don't see why not. So I figure the way that you would do it, I guess found footage lends itself to horror. So mm-hmm. my guess would be a crewman documenting a new planet or like a new world they've discovered. You okay. know, something like that. Yeah. Either that or investigating a disappearance on a, like a base or something on a planet, you know? Yeah. And so they come in and so they want one of them to be videoing at all times or all the crewmen have like, you know. Yeah, well, because it makes me think of like the crew from Discovery wears those tech vests, like when they go right. on away missions, it'd be kind of cool if they had a little more advanced than a GoPro, but essentially a GoPro attached to it. And it'd be kind of cool if, it started with like the Starfleet logo or like Starfleet archives. And it's all the footage from this mission. And I think the series that exists as it is, that would lend itself well to the found footage trope would probably be next gen because you've got data who records everything, right? You've got Jordy LaForge's visor who sees a bunch of stuff. And then uh, they have so many interactions with the Borg. I think it would be easy to get one of their hard drive. It's not a hard drive, but it's like a hard drive that carries. I mean, they almost all of them have eyepieces. So you got to figure there's some sort of visual account of them interacting with the Borg. And then perhaps some way of integrating maybe the holodeck for, for additional footage. And maybe the crew doesn't make it and everything's recovered by Starfleet. Maybe you also get additional found footage of the crew that's sent to salvage whatever remains of, you know, the Starfleet vessel and or Borg vessel. And they find footage from a cybernetic implant. They find footage from like a visor, things like that. And then they put it all together to for this report to the United Federation of Planets. That's how I do it. I think we're on to something here. Um, <laughs> so I, w- I was just uh, Googling now if this is even a thing that somebody has tried. It feels like that's something somebody has had to have tried. But Yeah, I can't be I the first person to have thought of that. Someone has to have done that. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily see anything that comes right up, though. So I agree with you. Also, I think that Enterprise actually would lend itself very well to something like this, since there's not archives of so many species and like such a broad knowledge of everything that's out there. Yeah, really lends itself to like finding something brand new that nobody's seen, like what's on this planet. That's true. Uh, And also you could play around with the tech availability too. Like, you know, you're more technologically advanced than now, but would they still be using some like handheld stuff would they still be i don't know you could you could toy with with how they did that the the episode that comes to mind that would have worked for it is like the one where they find the abandoned ship i can't remember the name of the episode now but fight or uh, flight yeah like that one would have been a good one like you could have done like a found footage version of that or something yeah man that'd be really awesome especially if it was somebody from like a different era going back in the archives and finding this old mission all these mission files from the NX-01 and putting it together and it ends up being this found footage docu-horror. Yeah, uh, that, that'd be kind of cool. It's interesting that that hasn't happened because Star Trek doesn't shy from horror very... I mean, like it doesn't try to escape it. Like, I mean, the Borg are pretty scary. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Picard, like that show makes them even more scary than ever before. Although mm-hmm. they're they're creepy in, in Next Gen too, but... That whole thing's wicked. Discovery, the episodes with the monster thing that's running through the hallways and stuff, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. That, the, uh, the par- it's, not a, it's not a parasite. Well, it's kind of a parasite. But I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's... They, got they treat st- it very much like a horror movie or something, you know, the yeah. way that they... And I feel like a studio, even if it was crowdfunded and fan-produced, like Bat in the Sun, they do a ton of stuff with cosplayers. You gotta think. Some of them have got Starfleet uniforms and it'd be really cool to put something together. Most of the stuff that I've seen from Bat in the Sun can stand right next to anything that you'd see in theaters. They produce some really great fan films. Sorry, I get you got me caught up in this and thinking about it. And so I was like on a Wikipedia page talking about found footage. And somebody mentions here there are episodes in the original Star Trek series that include brief found footage story and all the children shall lead from October 1968 and wink of an eye. Interesting. 
I, I don't know. I can't think of those episodes right off the top of my head, but <laughs> you want to sure call, call dibs on those? <laughs> yeah, but maybe. <laughs> but it says uh, this person says that both of those use found footage briefly in the in the story. So. Yeah, every now and then. And it was always kind of weird because I was always looking at, uh, you know, if you watch different angles from when they use the big screen there on the bridge, it seems like the camera's never in a fixed position and they're always, they're always looking, but it's never at the camera. So when you see the reverse image, people aren't like staring up at what you would think would be the camera. They're always just locked eye to eye. It's like, that's, that's not how cameras work, man. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I mean, you know, it's in the distant future. So I'm sure their, uh, their zoom room technology is much better than ours. (laughs) That's what we'll say at least. Yeah. So let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Wednesday on an all-new Enterprise. My people are dying. Will you help us? Before there was a prime directive, the fate of millions weighed on a captain's conscience. I believe your compassion for these people is affecting your judgment. My compassion guides my judgment. An all-new Enterprise. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. dear. Doc Flox receives a letter from his human counterpart who's working on Denobula. He starts writing back, describing his experiences with the crew and ways in which humans are different. Mostly their fondness for movies and unwanted sexual advances. (coughs) On the bridge, the crew are discussing a pre-warp vessel they've encountered. The alien they speak with, a have, begs them to assist with a medical emergency their species is facing. Ball's like, never heard of them. But Archer's all, we should help them. Ball's like, okay, fine. Flox continues his letter describing the challenges of treating the disease, with over 50 million lives at stake. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Enterprise arrives at the Haves' homeworld, where they are met by Isak, the director of a clinic, and Lar, a have yet, orderly. To Paul, Doc Flox, Archer, and Hoshi take a tour of the facility. Hoshi discovers that Lar's people, the have yets, are a second, lesser evolved yet unaffected race who live alongside the Haves. Doc Flox makes the startling discovery that the haves are slowly dying out. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. He also believes the answer to the cure may lie in the have yet. Archer debates whether to provide the haves with warp drive, ultimately deciding against it. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Upon further investigation, Flox learns that the haves suffer from an illness because their gene pool has reached a quote-unquote dead end and that the have-yets are undergoing an awakening process. He also finds that the haves have been stifling and underestimating the have-yets. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Flox has found a cure but doesn't believe it would be ethical to administer. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Archer considers how a prime directive would be helpful and provides the haves with medicine that will diminish the symptoms for a decade or so, anticipating the have-yets, natural evolution, and new levels of understanding between them. So, Gary, you were pretty adamant that you wanted to discuss this episode because it brings up a lot of different deep ethical issues. And I found that to be right on par when I watched it. And my wife, who also works in and around the medical field, had the same thought and the same reaction. You work closely in the medical field. You're not you're not a doctor or a nurse or anything, but you kind of work in some capacity. Tell folks what you what your nine to five is. I work on software for opioid uh, addiction treatment, basically. So I'm not directly involved in all of it, but just uh, knowing the needs of like doctors and nurses and that sort of thing that are in the clinics that are, you know, basically distributing like methadone and, you know, just Suboxone and all this other stuff that's uh, treatment for opioid addiction. Yeah. So these folks who have this big problem, they're they're getting treatment for it and you're kind of in charge of that software that keeps track of treatments length of time between doses i would imagine and right. who, who's administering what where they're getting it this that and the other thing sound about exactly. right yeah yeah, yeah. all of so, it comes with counseling like city you know and, and oh, sure. all that stuff too yeah absolutely and uh from my uh limited very limited knowledge of the medical field um my experience leans more towards the legal side uh from having worked in law enforcement 
and then uh, transitioning to my my current full-time job as a paralegal with a local law firm here in town. There's been a lot of things that I've seen and been involved with in terms of making decisions that affect people and keeping detailed records of that sort of thing and being on both sides of the law. When I was with law enforcement, technically I was with the state. Uh, Now that I'm with a law firm, technically represent the defendant more often than not. You know, so I've seen how these how these instances have long lasting effects on on families, on individuals, on children, and these different circumstances that I've been involved in and have witnessed. They're tough decisions. Like these things don't get. They may come about slowly, but when the decision needs to be made, and it needs to be made in an expedient manner, needs to be made quickly it's not so easy to make these calls, not every time. And I think we see a little bit of that here. Let's, uh, let's dive right in. What's, and, and I'll let you take a lead here because you were so adamant about covering this episode. What was the first thing in terms of the A plot? So we're going to stick with the haves and the have yets, which is just because I had trouble pronouncing Valakian and Mink, I think. Uh, so yeah. I just call them the haves and the have yets. Uh, <laughs> so what was the big thing in terms of that a plot that stuck out to you that, you know, got your pencil scribbling? Oh, for me though, you know, it's interesting. You call that the a plot. The a plot for me was that flocks constantly eats. That was my big conundrum <laughs> from this. Have you ever noticed that every time like <laughs> that's like part of his acting, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. That dude sure. is always like, taking a bite out of something and looking real smug about it. (laughs) He's Brad Pitt in every Oceans movie. You suicidal? Only in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like every, I feel like there's one scene in every episode that he's in where he's just like munching on something, just like, well, oh, interesting you should say that. He's uh, one slug to the bat and the other one for himself. (laughs) right yep Uh, this is the thing i mean you know one of the cool parts about having a series that's set before everything else is you get these stories that come up some people would say it's like oh they don't have to cover like how everything gets made you don't have to you know blah 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 but this was actually a really interesting one to me it's like you know this is before the prime directive so essentially i mean i'm pretty sure if you're listening to this you know all about the prime directive but it's basically that you just i think uh, it's it's a it's a rule encompassing non-interference with certain species and certain practices on planets that's the gist of it basically if they show up and these people haven't even developed telescopes to see out into the stars yet they're kind of like all right let's uh Let's put a beacon here and then maybe visit back in a, in a, in a couple centuries. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, so I was looking at uh memory alpha, uh, the website there and they say it's, it's the uh, embodiment of one of Starfleet's most important ethical principles, non-interference with other cultures and civilization yeah. at its core. It's the philosophical concept that covered personnel should refrain from interfering in the natural unassisted development of societies even if such interference was well intentioned uh so this was like a later in star trek this is like a fundamental thing yeah now you know we could talk all day about james t kirk when the time comes he essentially regularly tells starfleet to stick the prime directive up there but right uh, (laughs) and and i feel like picard was always finding creative solutions to adhere to the prime directive, even when it seemed like there was no way to adhere to it. And then that's that's true. It was really, I feel like it was really put into practice, but also tested in Voyager because they're so far away and and desperately trying to get home. You would think that they would, you know, knock on every single door they could going, can you help us get back home, please? (laughs) (laughs) Right. We don't know what you are. That's okay. Any food, technology, anything you got, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll, and we'll leave you whatever we can. <laughs> this here, one though, here I have mean, an Ensign Kim. <laughs> and it would be one thing if it was that, that, if it was a scenario of basically just that, like, you need something. And so you got to decide whether or not you want to talk to these people. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, this, this one plays it very interestingly, like that, 
a scenario that they ran into where, you know, you've got these two cultures of people basically, or two versions of this race. And one of them is dying from a genetic disease yeah. basically. And you interfering, like you could cure it, but it would interrupt the natural evolution of things because perhaps this other side that had have yet's, are likely making a transition to be the dominant species or whatever uh, on this planet. And you're directly interfering with that and causing that not to happen. So are you playing God basically by jumping in? Seemingly to me, I guess you're playing God either way at this point. Now you're here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) you're, You're already playing God now. Like you're, you're in it. Yeah. They're presented with a couple different options other than just, do we cure them or not? It's kind of, well, we could give them warp technology, but then that brings about another discussion where you just met these people. (laughs) Do you really want to give them the ability? Obviously they're going to find the, the, you know, first thing on the list is to find a cure, but there's no telling what they could get into. Think about when most kids get behind the wheel of a car. What's the first thing they do is usually go too fast and drive recklessly. Now imagine having a warp capable starship. Think of how much trouble they can get into. And look, humans developed warp capability and then stuck Jonathan Archer out there and we get four seasons of him goofing it up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, imagine imagine a species that's not ready for warp yet. Gosh, how how long did they say? I don't even remember now. Like uh, between where this is and when Zephram Cochran first oh yeah created well, a warp drive. You yeah, know? Zephram Cochran has his first flight, and then I think it's roughly a hundred years later. The Vulcans didn't want everybody to jump out, you know, like and, and just start. They didn't want the 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 uh, Earth people to just start flying through the stars and effing things up. Right. So <laughs> they thought it needed like a century. to, to, you know, understand that you can't just go willy-nilly out into the universe. Yeah, exactly. So they're presented with, well, we could give them warp technology. And then there's the thought of, well, we can give them the blueprints. Then the other side is we've got a medicine that will alleviate their symptoms and we've got a cure. So they opt for the lesser of both. They give them blueprints but they don't teach them how to synthesize the stuff that they need to actually build a warp capable ship. They essentially, he gives them something that's going to mitigate the symptoms for longer. Right. And so yeah, they can, they can last longer to hopefully maybe they'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. My wife and I were discussing this earlier today, the idea, and this kind of circles around to something we were talking about earlier. Phlox's Hippocratic Oath. Folks, you know what that sound means. We have another guest. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, my better half and the voice of the Computer Resume podcast, Kat Davis. Yay! Yeah! Hey, everybody. Man, I would have dressed nicer had I known. (laughs) It's guns out Gary today. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's the only way I know you. Yeah, that's pretty much it's just it's not really like a style so much as it is just i'm lazy well uh cat you missed the first little bit of our discussion we were basically talking about how well first of all how Flox eats in every shot he's in and then we discussed how this is a really tricky scenario that enterprise finds themselves in because they've got the ability to give them warp and they've got the ability to cure them But the question is, could we versus should we? And uh, just before you got in, I was about to start discussing with Gary Flox's Hippocratic Oath and his his vow to do no harm. And I think it's important to look at what that means and how does that apply to this scenario? Actually, Kat, before you got here, Todd was telling me something about how you would cleanse a planet of people that were genetically inferior <laughs> or something. Did you say something about that? I would do that. I think he's the one that decided that it was okay to do that. So. Yeah, that was a total Todd thing. Yeah, just, yeah, that's that's Todd. That has Todd written all over it. Yeah. So. So anyway, that's a weird fork in the road for this story that Star Trek didn't tackle. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved hearing that you were so excited to talk about this episode. 
it's been the best episode of this series so far. Um, very interesting topic, very philosophical, ethically based conversation. Would you, won't you, uh, how would you, how would you take this scenario on? And, you know, when we were talking a little bit about it, it was kind of like, could you live with yourself after this decision? Cause they, they decided not to, to not provide the cure. And that's where my thought process has been focusing on when I've been thinking about this episode was, it was simply the cure of the. I've been referring to them as the haves. Their name is actually the <laughs> Valakian. Valakians. So yeah. So I've been focusing on the fact that whether we give the cure to the Valakians or not, um, I know there's some other stuff in it of whether you give them warp drive or what happens to the Menk. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's very difficult for me to think about you have a cure and you're not going to give that. And thinking about the Hippocratic Oath that Todd queued up, it was like, you do no harm, but you know, you can always play devil's advocate with that of, okay, do no harm, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to help them. I won't kill you. I think the tricky part with this one that they played up well and you're 100 percent right for to, to me too this is the best episode i haven't been like super excited about any of them although todd's brought out some great discussion in the ones we've talked about this was the first one where i, I watched it on accident and i was like i'm glad we're doing this one this one's great <laughs> then i found out it wasn't the one we're doing i'm like well i have to do this one because like great sci-fi is supposed to make you think and the reason this one makes you think is that it's not a simple answer it's not like a person is hurt do you make them feel better it's like if you do help this person you're also holding down someone else technically and so that's what makes it trickier before we uh, get too much deeper into it, we started the episode, Kent, with explaining Gary's involvement in the medical field, albeit you know, sort of on the perimeter. And I talked about how my experience, my very limited experiences with making life altering decisions and life affecting decisions are more from the legal side from law enforcement. And then as a paralegal, you're involved in the medical field. Tell folks a little bit about that, just so they know where you're coming from in your life experience and work. I primarily work in healthcare finance whether that is monitoring the financial situation of hospitals, medical groups, physician practices, or if it's related to patient financial services in terms of billing and collecting. I currently am in consulting and working with a lot of different um, healthcare organizations and strategic planning, COVID um, mitigations. And of course, I've had my own healthcare issues that I've had to deal with over the years, trying to find the right providers to get the right care I need. So I've kind of been in it from a a moral standpoint too of what should a doctor be doing to help their patients? So healthcare, while in a lot of ways, it's it's a very moral conversation, especially in our capitalistic society, it is near and dear to my heart in conversations like this. Yeah, because it sounds like we're all kind of on the same page, but there seems to be some different avenues that the crew of the Enterprise could take. Uh, and I say the crew of the Enterprise, Jonathan Archer. He's the captain. It all falls on his shoulders. Gary, do you think Archer made the right call? Yes or no? Jesus, well, why don't you just put me right on the spot? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... I was going to and I was going to set that up to see if we could have a little bit of a debate here, if there was a debate to be had. So... So just pick yes or no, and then I'll pick the opposite so he can have what he wants. Oh, okay. I think that were I in the scenario, it was like up to me for whatever ungodly reason the earth had it on my shoulders to decide this. I think that I would have to say, no, they didn't make the right decision personally. I would have a hard time just leaving people knowing that you have the cure for something that they're dealing with. And I would probably convince myself that for whatever reason you believe in you're there now with a cure and you can help. So it's your duty to help. That's how I feel. I, the one strike I'll give this episode is that they spent 
not enough time going through all of this. It's fun because there is the question, but I really feel like they could have spent like half the episode setting up the scenario. And this doesn't come up until the end of the episode, probably. And they're kind of just like briefly like going over it. But I feel like you could have had like philosophical discussion for like the last half of the episode, laying out all of the details. That said, we're doing it now. I would think the longer I've had to think about it, I would have gone with with helping them like you would have had to. Kat, where did you end up falling on that discussion? Am I going for my real one or to give you your your debate? <laughs> well, we can still we can still <laughs> play devil's advocate, even if you I've, agree with me. That's true. <laughs> I've said since the beginning of this show that I appreciate honesty. So <laughs> be honest. So my biggest hang up in talking about this was because it was tough for me to decide. I could truly tell, truly understand if you actually can see the evolution of a species and realize that they're on their downward turn and could say that they need to follow that path, especially if you've got another species that is rising above and you don't want to hinder that. I get it. But Gary, just like you said, I couldn't sleep at night. If you had it, if you figured, if you had the cure and figured it out and you didn't help them in some way, maybe even given them some kind of nugget of, hey, you know, here's part of the equation that we were able to figure out. Maybe you can figure out the rest on your own. You know, something that would help them. I I just don't know how you can walk away and not do something for them. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it was about the the whole assumptions that was made in the episode of, well, if we don't give them the cure, then the mink won't rise to their potential because they're in the subservient position that they're in. And, you know, all these different other things that I think were going on, but you know, that's, that's an assumption. What if they could, what if that they were already on a rising path and, you know, they would figure out how to get past their position and continue to advance. For me, I kept coming back to the have yets, the mink. If you save one, you condemn the other. And even in establishing a prime directive, all that does is shift the responsibility. And you still have to save one and condemn the other. Now, if you're leaving that up to evolution, Max, that's at least the second or third wine we've heard from you on this show. I can take it in the back room. Do you have thoughts on the episode, Dear Doctor? You want to chime in? I'll be right back. You finish your thoughts. Okay. So you're having to save one and condemn the other. The fact that he's there, I feel like you answered the call. In for a penny, in for a pound, man. And they gave him the blueprints and they gave him medicine that will alleviate the symptoms and give them a fighting chance. You know, I come back to the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. To whom? The mink? The Valakian? How do you make that call? The weird part is, is that I think you you hit the nail on the head for me, like on where my decision would come from, is that you're already there now. Like you're in it now. Like, so you're, you know, no matter what you think should have happened to them on their own, now you are, you're officially involved. So you're, you're now at the point of, this city is about to be destroyed by a storm in the United States of America. Do you send aid or not? You know, like, it's just, it's almost like, I, I don't know, maybe that's not a good equivalent scenario, but it feels like it is. It's like, you know, and they're here and they know you exist and you know, they exist. So now you should probably help these people not say like, well, if they're not prepared for it, then too bad for those guys. You yeah. Know? I was also wondering about, the idea of, okay, let's consider a best case scenario. Best case scenario, they both survive and thrive. Do you honestly think there won't be a war at some point between two dominant species on the planet? And let's say one of them develops warp technology and they find out that the Enterprise, uh, season one, episode nine, civilization, interacted with a pre-warp civilization and gave them the cure for what was ailing them. Do you think that won't cause a war? Even if they don't war between each other, do you think they might find some allies who have issues with the United Federation of Planets and de- declare war on the Federation? All of those arguments, though, are arguments that 
you should not i mean it feels like would be the argument of people that are just like you should not be involved in any of this yeah. because you're turning the tide one way or the other no matter what like because you could sit here all day right and argue that the one species on its way out should just go out and the other species should rise i mean there's an argument that the virus is the next level of their existence and so you're wiping out the virus like if you you know if it if it's a virus i can't even remember. i think it's like a genetic virus or something but uh yeah it's, it, it's a genetic condition that was it was a pandemic much yeah. like uh what we've just been through here <laughs> well yeah and i was just i was just thinking like even if like some species like knew immediately they had like an instant cure to covid and they were just like watching from space and they were just like well, we can't get involved, you know, like they've got to figure it out. Hopefully they do. It's weird though, but it's like, I don't know if my grandma's dying of cancer, you know, I don't feel like we should leave it to her to figure out how to cure cancer or if we're going to treat it or not. It's tough, man. It's, I, I get the idea for the prime directive being that you don't get involved. The other thing is, is there's no absolutes here. You don't know that this species is destined to die off. I don't think evolution really works that way necessarily. Like it could work out that way, but you don't know that for sure. You don't know what's going to happen over the next hundred years. And uh, whether you believe in God or science or whatever reason you think you're there, for me, it's just like you are there. And so if you could, you know, you're involved, they know you exist, you know, they exist. Now it's too late to just not be involved. You are involved. Well, and I know it's a science fiction show, but I do go to a little bit of, of a fate conversation. So um, in my head, so it's just like, if you see this trajectory that they are destined to, destined for their demise, but now the enterprise has shown up, is it fate that the enterprise is now there and that they can fix this? Or is it fate that they will, regardless of whether the enterprise is there or not, will go on this path? and die off in however many generations it is um, that they have remaining. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time. Why'd you catch that? Because it was gonna fall. You're certain? Yeah, but it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. And see, that's where I came in from the legal side, because when you're talking about tort law, uh, which is um, lawsuits, you know, car accidents and things of that sort. I thought it was from Mexican food. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the first person to make that joke in the legal field. Gary. I'm uh, just a fat bastard. So you said hungry. You're in good company. We just spent the last weekend in Ohio eating donuts and uh, pretty much any, anything and everything fried. So <laughs> But that's where I come back to, uh, you know, for tort law, the main element we're trying to find is the what's called the but for element. And that's basically how would things have played out excluding this element, the but for. So it's looking at the Vlachians and the Minks. How would that have played out but for the Enterprise? It's hard to say because it didn't happen because they interfered. So... Well, they showed up, but they didn't really interfere. They decided at the end not to, right? Even though, like you said, Gary, they now have the cure. They have interfered, but they haven't really done anything then. I mean, they gave them medicine to alleviate the symptoms and gave them blueprints for a warp drive. Oh, I thought they didn't give them the warp drive. They didn't They didn't give them the warp drive, but they gave them the plans to construct one. They so did they did give them a few tidbits. A little bit. Oh, okay. They did the least of the most things they could do. <laughs> I keep seeing when I was looking up stuff online about this, like people were referring to like genocide. If the enterprise is participating in genocide or something, I didn't, I, that, that's not the feeling I got when watching it. I mean, I guess I could see the path you take in your mind, but that's not, it's not exactly where I was headed. But the only thing I can't remember is like, what is, what is the deal with the mink where the other guys just holding them down and, and were they like, I can't, I was trying to remember like how they were treated. Cause I guess that could color your opinion. So the people from the enterprise thought that the mink were mistreated. The mink seemed very happy. Now, granted they were kind of in a, again, subservient, possibly right. almost slave like 
conditions, but I didn't even really a hundred percent feel like that. Um, I felt like they had freedoms. They just, what they were on a portion of the planet that didn't grow anything or didn't. So yeah. they had, they relied on the Valakians for sustenance and other things. And they, they got jobs from the Valakians. I don't know if they were paid or if it was, again, it, it wasn't super clear, but I guess the folks from the enterprise thought that if we save the Valakians, then this will continue and the mink who are showing advancements won't ever get there. The uh, Starfleet folk, it, oh, it almost seems like you just like walked into a room. You didn't know it was in here, but you're really eager to know. And then you find out that you're like, oh, I don't want any drama. I'm going to just, yeah. I'm just going to step out now. But it's like, you don't want to any responsibility for what you find. They were on a road trip and this was just their day stop. So they weren't going to help, even if they wanted to give them warp or anything like that, they weren't going to train them on it. They weren't going to help them try to figure certain things out. They weren't going to help them try to work on their society issues, maybe, you know, and, and create a better organ, create a better society with both the mink and the Valakians. So they just decided, you know what, maybe we shouldn't even be here, guys. We're going to, we're going to jet. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you stumbled in, like you, you walked into it, and then you're like, all right, well, here's two uh, opposed societies. One of them's dying, by the way. We've got the cure. Like, oh, we'll just give them the cure. And well, if you cure them, then their side definitely won't go away. And this other side will still forever be subservient to this society. And then it's just like, I mean, you could stick around and have some diplomacy and like try to hash this thing out and like teach them a better way. I mean, this is all what you were just saying, Cap. It's just like Archer's just like, you know what? We don't really have time for this or uh, the resources. So we should probably just jet and uh, good luck, everybody. <laughs> and so we got other new lives and new civilizations to boldly discover and such. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, this is, um, this is a really great discussion. I'm again, th so thankful both of you could be on tonight. Let's get to a little bit of discussion about what I'm calling the B plot of this episode, which is bad touch from crewman Cutler on doc flocks. Any, uh, uh, we'll start. We'll start with Cat uh, since I started with Gary on the A plot. How do you feel about uh, the unwanted touch, and then followed up with the with the kiss between Cutler and Flox? Initially, I thought that this was a really cute kind of interaction, you know, flirting between the two. I think if I were watching this in 2002, I probably would have kept that thought process. But today, with our kind of veil of consent that we need in our society. It was a little off-putting the more I thought about it in that he didn't like that. Uh, he didn't want the touch. I think he liked the flirting in a way, but he's not, you know, a touchy-feely kind of guy. And then she jumps in for the kiss, so kind of jumps there. And then he even says something about, well, I need you to understand my culture. I'm already married, thrice married, actually. And she's like, oh, I don't care about any of that. And I'm thinking to myself, you should care a little bit about that. Whether that means you want to be a fourth wife, but it's his culture. So you should appreciate that, understand that. You can still, you know, go after it, get hit it, whatever you want to do. But, you know, keep that in mind. <laughs> I just never thought I'd be on an episode of a podcast where Kat said you could, you know, hit it if you want to but like just the, get, get it girl um you know i never I, i'll be honest with you guys i i am the thick-headed dude and so i watched this episode and that part did not even hit me until tonight like i didn't even oh flox is gonna get a friend with biddies all right nice <laughs> like you know but but i get it i get it you're what you're saying is absolutely true like all of that is uh you're right. He, he, and his species or race or whatever, like his people, like she even says when she like touches him, like your people don't like that or something. And he's like, oh, that's okay. And then she's like, well, in that case, and then she like goes in for it. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that's like somebody like, oh, I just grabbed your boobies. Oh, I forgot coworkers aren't supposed to grab boobies. Like, that's fine. Just okay. And then you're like, all right, well, in that case, let's make out. <laughs> you know, that's not how the world works. You can't do that. And that's essentially what she did to poor Flocks. And uh, 
I have to assume that, you know, maybe she was just real into his brain. Maybe she liked that he was an alien. She was just real into interspecies relationships. Paul thinks that humans are too immature to be in interspecies relationship. And she might be right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Spock is the product of an interspecies relationship. and uh, But much later. Much later. Um, but for those who may already be familiar with Star Trek Enterprise. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There is an interspecies relationship later on between T'Pol and our good friend Charles Tucker III. Uh, spoiler. Trip? <laughs> yeah. A trip? What? Yeah. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't like that guy man <laughs> like, i just don't and uh anyway the redneck right yeah yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't stand that guys he's a doofus oh <laughs> actually that's what made this episode kind of great he wasn't on it <laughs> yeah he's, he's really not there i i appreciated that flox was getting like two sorts of female advice by the way one of them from uh hoshi who is my crush from the show like i love her she is just fantastic i don't know what it is about her she's just real cute um i think also i just like her as a star trek character because still to this day like she's like the most innocently curious person like she just legitimately is interested in learning and knowing more she feels like a star trek person like that could have got dropped into any show and she would work where yeah. everybody else is kind of headstrong about who they are. And like, she's just, she's there for the pure enjoyment of exploration and learning. Right. She seems like a good person all around. She seems and... like the, the ideal Roddenberry crew member of like, this is the best of humanity. We are there for science and learning and exploration and High fives all around. Let's let's go. That's that's Hoshi Sato. Yeah, they should have said, "What would Hoshi do here?" I think in this scenario, Love she it. probably would have been like, "I'm going to my room. I don't want any part <laughs> of this." Well, uh, but but well, Todd, did you establish like really like sorry with the with the prime the thing with the prime directive when you don't where you don't get involved? Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy. It's like the foundation it's like the base thing mm-hmm. and then sometimes things are gonna get weird it's like the the constitution right like it's like there's the constitution there's a reason there's like all these amendments to the constitution because it was just like here's the thing it's written this is great and then later on you run into something you're like gosh <laughs> well actually let's let's add this one addendum here <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh and then, you know, later on, then you've, you're on the 20th, and, yeah. you know, and you're like, okay, there, there keeps being things that are like the weird gray areas. We got to sort out as we get to it. Anyway, so as I was thinking about the prime directive, I'm like, even once that gets made, I'm like, I still feel like there's, there's points where you have to make a, a call. Like you can't just be like, yeah. I'm not dealing with this. Well, sure. And I think the the consequences of that are usually, uh, you know, down the road, the consequences of that are usually, you better be able to justify that to Starfleet. Going back to something you hinted at and alluded to that I hadn't really made the connection before is Crewman Cutler and her actions next to Archer and his inaction. And are these two sides of the same coin where she basically went ahead and did what she wanted because she didn't care about his species and culture and marriages, whereas Archer cares so much, he's conflicted about what to do. If Crewman Cutler had to make the choice about whether or not to save the Valakians or the Mink, what call would she have made? And what would be her reasoning? I'm going to go out on a limb, Todd. And I'm going to say that I haven't seen the rest of the series or anything, but I feel like you just put more thought into it than the writers did. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I (laughs) I appreciate that. Thanks very much. I think they were just like, 
we need some stuff for flocks to do we need a flocks centric episode <laughs> and we should have him dealing with uh interpersonal relationships and then also well really with interpersonal relationships even because it feels like this episode was also a lot about as much as they created the far-reaching conundrum that would echo throughout all of star trek continuity i think they were also just trying to show relationships like work-wise flocks up against the captain and mm. uh also but like flocks like on a personal level who he is and that sort of thing i think they were really trying to make just a flocks episode it's what they yeah. were really going for this is definitely a flocks episode for sure i feel like you just asked gary what would a woman do Gary, do you feel like you have that authority to say what would a woman do? I, de- I certainly do not. Okay, then. And I would never pretend to make sure what a woman would do. That queer. That well, was all tied. <laughs> I, I had no part in that. As as a woman, how do you? Guys, actually, you part know, of my prime I'm directive, my podcast prime directive, I actually have to jet right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... but I mean, well, weigh in with your two cents as a woman and as someone who watched crewman cutler interact the way that she did with doc flocks how do you think she would have handled the valakian mink conundrum well i'm not her so i don't know that i can even speak for her even though i am a woman i do find it interesting that you made that comparison in that one says and eh, we're not going to do a lot or we're just going to do bare minimum versus she's going for it and i do find it also interesting that it's the woman doing that versus the man who's like holding back and not taking that risk i agree with gary that you are probably thinking of it more than the writers are but it's great great thought process and thinking about that the way that she presented herself it would probably appear that she would you know do what she could and she would follow her heart regardless of whatever that would be so her heart her heart is going after flocks and um damned his culture <laughs> so to speak but so it you know if if her heart is in saving them if her heart is with the mink mink then that's what she she would probably go with either one of them really what you got to do i think the 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 theme of this episode and every episode of enterprise is honestly you've got to have faith of the heart <laughs> <laughs> So no, and, and and my my comment wasn't a slide against the writers. I know that you know it's not yeah. that anybody involved in the episode that they don't have the ability to write a huge continuity and write like an entire thing because they have experience with it. But it's just Enterprise works in that you're getting one episode, so you don't know right. that anything you're doing is necessarily. I feel like you wouldn't know that it's getting followed up on exactly. I don't think you would like toy with these two personalities at such a deep level that you're hoping somebody picks up on it and just deals with that in season two also. Right. Well, speaking of men and women working together, this episode was written by Maria and Andre Jacumentin, husband and wife team. They they worked previously in the franchise on enterprise season one episode eight breaking the ice which we covered here and you can download that episode and hear all of their credits most uh notably they put in a lot of work on the series mad men they are responsible for uh for this script this episode was also directed by james a contner uh this is the first of five episodes that he directed for Enterprise. Some of his film credits include uh, a lot of camera work at the beginning of his career, a lot of camera work, most notably Jaws in 1975. I know that's a big favorite of yours, Gary, uh, oh, yeah. as in most of the country. It's pretty awesome. Spielberg, The Wiz, and uh, Richard Donner's Superman, both in 1978. And then he was the DP for Jaws 3D, in 1983 uh some of his tv credits include miami vice 21 jump street the 90s flash series did you ever watch that gary oh yeah i did did you ever catch an episode of that probably yeah that's it's a fun one it's a lot of fun uh he also did a a little bit on a series called the adventures of briscoe county jr familiar with that and its star mr bruce campbell Gary? Oh yeah, real real familiar with Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Just because so. uh, I mean I don't know how often Bruce Campbell's going to come up, but give us the, a little 
a little Bruce Campbell story since I know you've had some interactions with the man. Yeah, I mean, my wife, if she could overhear this conversation, will uh, fuss at me for telling this story because uh, she she has heard it so many times. But she, she every time every time he comes up, I'm like, did you know I was his bodyguard once? And she's like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it's just like. But yeah, I had a I, I was at a Eastern Illinois University, and I had a buddy who worked at uh, whatever it was that he brought in guests to speak. And Bruce Campbell had a book coming out, "If Chins Could Kill." And uh, when that book was coming out, he was like, "Do you know who Bruce Campbell is?" And I'm like, "Hell yeah, I know who Bruce Campbell is." And he's like, "Do you want to hang out with him and like keep him busy and walk him around and stuff?" Because he's coming in this morning, and we got to hang out with him. And he speaks tonight, or you know, whatever night it was actually. And I'm like oh this is awesome so yeah i got to hang out with bruce campbell had dinner like did all the stuff so the 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 main thing that that todd's probably thinking about is at one point we're like getting ready for his uh uh and and side note bruce campbell is actually as cool and nice and everything as you'd think he would be but we're getting ready for his autograph signing after the show so we set up a line like the way it goes and i'm at the head of the line like watching who gets to his table and uh, his manager who's there is just like, well, you know, they're sitting there and they're like, all right, it's two items. Everybody gets to sign two items and that's it. No more. You know, just don't, don't let them yada, yada, yada. I'm like, all right, cool. So like, I'm waiting there. People are going through. Finally, this one girl comes up and she's got like four or five things. And I'm like, all right, sorry, but it's, it's two things you can do. She's like, Oh God, God, you got to help me out. Like my brother, he couldn't be here and he loves Bruce Campbell and I'm doing this for him. I'll let me do it. I'm saying, I'm sorry. It's two items. They had stressed this. They were like, no matter what, it is two items. You have to keep this line moving two items. And I'm like, sorry, it's, it's two. Uh, so you just got to pick which two things you want to do. Maybe one for you, one for him. And Bruce Campbell, I hear him yell, Gary, it's okay. Just let her in. And I'm like, uh okay so like i let her through and so he's like ah just ignore him it's fine you know and he like sits there and talks to her and signs all of her things she's like thank you so much appreciate you blah 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 she walks away everybody's happy and then he slowly like turns to me and he said it's two items (laughs) soul i'm like wow and he's like why is that so hard I was wondering and, uh, why they they put you there because you've got such you're such a teddy bear you'd let everybody come and see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then later when we went to see the man with the screaming brain at the premiere, like Todd, you were there and like we all went there and I was like, I wonder if he'll remember me. And there was an autograph line, and uh, I think it was there or either later or something. But he goes, I was like, hey, you probably don't remember me. He's like, I remember you. <laughs> 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 Yeah, uh, Bruce. Bruce, don't call me Ash Campbell. He he's uh, he's awesome. If if you're not familiar with his work, highly recommend it. Uh, the Evil Dead movies, and of course, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. So much fun. But uh, back to Mr. Contner's TV credits. He also did uh, some work on Sequest 2032, X Files, Smallville, Firefly. But uh, Gary, you found something interesting about him and his work on a little show by Joss Whedon. Isn't that right? I mean, I know that he's worked on like every Joss Whedon show. Did I tell you something the other day that I'm not remembering on a fan? I mean, he worked on Buffy and Angel and Charm and Smallville. And he worked on all of those shows that feel like this show is one thing I noticed about him. So it yeah, sense. he did. Uh, he actually directed 20 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is uh, the second most after Mr. Joss Whedon, the series creator. That's right. I forgot that. Dir- yeah, Joss yeah. create. Uh, Joss directed 21 episodes, and then uh, guest starring, we've got Miss Kelly Waymeyer as crewman Elizabeth Cutler. We saw her previously in Enterprise Season 1, Episode 4, Strange New World, where they get stuck in the cave and everybody's kind of going paranoid. And then we've got uh, Mr. Christopher Rydell as the alien astronaut. And uh, his resume is a little sparse uh, than most folks that have have appeared on Star Trek so far. But he does have a starring role as David Parsons in Dario Argento's Trauma 
from 1993. Gary, have you ever seen Trauma? I haven't seen Trauma, but I'm, I'm very familiar with Dario Argento. I just, that's one of them I haven't seen. He's also yeah. the son of director Mark Rydell mm-hmm. uh, and uh, actor Joanne Linville, uh, who was the first ever female Romulan seen on screen. Wow. So in the original Star Trek series called The Enterprise Incident, which is just a weird, stupid, nerdy fact that feels like it fits right into a Star Trek show. That is perfect for this. Uh, he's <laughs> a little bit of little bit of uh his parents are at least one of his mom's a Star Trek alum. So that's great. Then we've got Carl Widergott as Lar. He was also in an episode of Voyager uh back in 1996 but primarily he's been doing a lot of voice work he is additional voices on the simpsons from 1998 to 2010 that's a good gig to get yeah i mean uh i'm sure it's one we'd all love to have so we just make voices for the simpsons instead i make voices for free on podcasts that pay me nothing so (laughs) that's what i do Next week, we're covering uh, season one, episode 14, Sleeping Dogs, uh, which, of course, is available on Paramount Plus. Uh, both of you, thank you so much again for doing the show tonight. Before we get going, Kat, will you tell people where people can reach out to you online? I'm at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. Gary, how about you? I am at this is Gary Horde or at TIPW show or at cinema underscore shock. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all the socials from all of us at the computer resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 Ford. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The computer resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was done by Will Martin at heyitswill.seo on Instagram. And I'm Kat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The computer resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. I'm your host, writer, comedian. Exactly. Yep. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear.